Today's episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by the why don't you just shoot them trope. The fact is, you're a villain. And I mean, not just a villain like the bomb will blow up the city of 24 hours kind of villain. You're more like the bomb's blown up. It's already happened and you're too late. Sorry, hero. But you don't got any bombs because you've got a mind to explode. Now, who stands in your way? Let's say you got yourself a class 10 badass with a thing for swashbuckling, plan thwarting, and buns kicking, something that happens a few times in the movie, and takes two randos out of the second story window. Your cocky little hero shows himself to be a fancy swordsman, and you fancy yourself a fellow with a gun. So what do you do? Well, you do the Raiders of the Lost thing, right? You shoot the guy and you move the hell... Wait, you don't... you don't want to shoot him? You want to defend your honor by matching wits with the hero's weapon of choice? Something that he rolls a plus 15 in and you play it close to the critical one chest? You gotta be kidding me. He, he's right there and you can blow him away. Why didn't you, wouldn't you just shoot? Oh, I see. It always comes back to honor. Look, you're a bad guy. Good guys have done this thing plenty of times. You think you're better than him? You do? Oh. Well, when all is said and done and you've got a wagon full of gold crushing your freshly shish kebab lungs, you'll be wishing you would have just shot him. The why don't you just shoot them trope. It works for Indiana Jones, but no, by all means, don't do it. You're a good bad, bad guy. Welcome to Cinema Gush, everybody. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. Uh, I'm, I'm Nick, I'm here, and who else is here? We got Brendan, right? Brendan, hi. <laughs> oh, excellent. And we have got ourselves an incredibly, incredibly fun movie uh, that sparked a ridiculous amount of nostalgia for me because I watched a lot as a kid. But we are here with Lydia. She's an actor, playwright, screenwriter, script consultant, book adapter, painter, and all around creative person. Um, she's got her Bachelor's of Fine Arts in theater from Southern Methodist University. And she also studied acting in Russia mm-hmm. at the Moscow Art Theater, as well as in LA with so many various teachers, some of whom I think you've mentioned on the show before. Um, but she's currently in South Carolina taking advantage of the growing Southeast market and is currently adapting another book. Can you tell us the book that you're adapting, Lydia, or no? I probably can. Uh, The contract is about to get signed. So I am adapting a book called The Indigo Girl by Natasha Boyd. Ooh, that's exciting. What's it about? It is about Eliza Lucas, who was a real person in uh, the Carolina colonies in the 1700s, who at almost 17 years old was given charge of all of her dad's plantations and told to make them profitable while he went off to Antigua and tried to get some military commissions. And uh, long story short, it was her idea to grow indigo. So it's a story Hmm. about her travails in that endeavor. That sounds wicked cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting story. Awesome. Well, sweet. We'll have to check in with you when that one's all done and definitely share it with the viewers. Uh, but for now, you know, we had you on a couple seasons ago with the Lilies of the Field. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about that just to briefly touch on the passing of the great actor oh, that man. we lost just a couple of months ago. How was? She, how did you react to that when you found out the news? I cried. It was, you know how there are certain actors, certain celebrities that you've never met, but who have become familiar to you and personal to you. He was one of those people for oh, me. Yeah. And I, I know that he was one of those people for so many, many actors and just creative filmmakers alike. And um, every single story that I read in various posts about him in the aftermath of his death 
emphasized how much of a gentleman he was and such an intelligent, bright, warm, loving, kind, kind yeah. man. And so uh, as much as it was sad to lose him, it definitely is satisfying knowing he gave so much of himself already to this planet while he was here. Yeah, Sidney Poitiers, who we're talking about, folks. I was going to say, just, we should probably say his name. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Did, didn't mean kidding. to not say his name. but Star uh, of Lilies of the Field, which you should go back and listen to, because that's a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's a great episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I want to dive right in here and let you gush. Uh, the Mask of Zorro, I believe this was 1998, uh, Antonio Banderas, and so many other people in this movie. How did you first end up seeing this film? I honestly don't remember. I grew up watching this movie, and it, I probably saw it for the first time when I was eight years old in 1998. And my family adored this movie, and we watched it all the time. And yep. I, too, experienced so much nostalgia watching it again. I genuinely started crying in the opening scene with the swelling of the music and thought, oh, wow, is this going to be the whole movie? <laughs> and, of course, I could compose myself a little bit. But it um, it's one of those films that, as a kid, had so much of everything in it that it made me want to be a filmmaker. I really believe that this is one of the, the most crucial movies for me in the path of my life, wanting to be a storyteller, wanting to be an actor, wanting to be a writer. So that all started when I was eight. Awesome. Um, I grew up with this movie as well. I don't know if I saw it in theaters or not, but we definitely had the VHS. Yeah. And my yes. sister now has the VHS. So um, it played in our house like crazy. Uh, to this day, my dad still loves to quote the confession scene, which we'll get to. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there are so. I had forgotten how many great winning lines there are in this film. And I also had forgotten that it was written by uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, who we talked about on several other programs, which we will get to when that time comes. But uh, pretty well, actually, Brennan, you hadn't seen it before, right? No, I had not seen it before. This is one of those movies that so it came out, I think I was about 10. And I remember the trailer very vividly. And I remember when it came out, people liking it. And then I haven't thought about it for 20 years. <laughs> In my head, I knew like I knew vaguely that it was a Martin Campbell movie, and I know he can be hit and miss. He either makes some brilliant movies or forgettable movies, and I just kind of assumed it was one of the forgettable ones. And man, Boofy is so much fun. Like, yeah, I don't. Maybe this is wrong to say, and it might bother some people. Heck, it might bother you, Lydia, but. Of all the movies that I have not seen on this podcast, this is the one I enjoyed the most. This was so much fun. Wow. Why did that bother oh, me? That because I didn't see your last movie either. Oh, <laughs> and I love okay. I okay. love Lilies of the Field. I understand. But this Very movie different movies. was so much fun. So yeah. much fun. Yeah. We're the kind of household that loves to just pop in movies that are like trilogies and we don't, we'll have a Harry Potter weekend, a Hunger Games weekend, a Pirates of the Caribbean weekend, and then like Zorro's just two. I wish there was a third one, but uh, it's just it's just one of those fun summer popcorn flicks that you just you just don't get tired of watching. Yeah. But I don't want to steal all the thunder away. So Lydia, please, please gush away, gush away. Well, so rewatching it, as I was saying at the very beginning, I felt just hearing the. Even the soundscape in the beginning, the dancing, you know, you've got the, um, that, the sound of shoes on, on wooden plank floors, the creativity mm -hmm. and the driving urge of that, um, that opening. And the classic, you know, 
black screen, man all decked out in black, masked. You get the Z in fire. And it's so dramatic. Yeah, but it's 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 amazing. And the um It's great. Yeah, it it immediately lets you know what kind of movie this is going to be. Um I have to touch on that slash real quick because did you all hear the roaring cat in the slash? No, but I did no. notice there. I thought there was a panther scream when the fire at the end is going along the wood. I heard some That's, sort of so, screeching. Yeah. I, was, I was curious what yes. they mixed, but yeah. Huh. That was a. Uh, I had learned that from uh, watching Brick with Ryan Johnson that to make the muscle car seem more powerful, they added in like tiger growls and things like that. And Amazing. then when he slashed the Z, I heard that panther scream, and I was like, "Okay, I'm in good hands. This is gonna rock." <laughs> <laughs> And they do it one other time in the film. I can't think of when, but I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it again, because I'm definitely going to watch this again. Uh, But there was another sequence where I was like, okay, that sound, like Mm -hmm. that sound probably wouldn't be there, but they're just like, they're heightening things. So continue. Yes. It's, it's immediately fun, immediately big and bold and in your face. And then immediately comedic, comedic. I mean, the first image that you see is the opening up of a, a tent, a tarp, a wagon, in two little peepee eye holes and fingers coming down. And that, and that, it's so specific, it's so simple and small. What a small way to begin after this big dramatic opening. And that contrast, I think, is really indicative in many ways of the whole film. You've got big, sweeping, epic gestures. You've got fight scenes. You've got dancing and comedy and spectacle and really beautiful, glorious sets. And then you have really compelling and at times super subdued acting that is grounding. Yeah. And it is this mm-hmm. this tension, this lovely dance back and forth between the heights of things and the simple and the subtle. And in many ways that's already yeah. clear from the very beginning. So I love that. And you know, those those moments sometimes are affecting you when you're watching. When you watch something for the first time, uh, for a lot of people, if they're not filmmakers or involved in storytelling in any way, they're not necessarily able to articulate how a movie is, why a movie is making them feel the way it's making them feel. But to juxtapose two things like that, a big smash, smash, smash opening with just little tiny pupils looking through a wagon and a little mm-hmm. bit of comedy, <laughs> that is very, very clever in the setup. Um, so I noticed that for the first time. Uh, watching through and then the one of the next things that you that I notice and is just a delight to see as an actor is how many real people there are as extras oh my god it's so satisfying yes. it feels I mean you see all of these people that are waiting and waiting and waiting for sorrow and hoping that he's going to show up and they're all real humans they're not CGI they aren't doing one of ten versions of an <laughs> algorithm of human behavior they're actually all yeah. in the in the present moment um, the energy that comes from actual humans is something <clears throat> that it's irreplaceable. It's really special. And not just that, that but I, don't, and I won't jump too far ahead here, but when they got to the mine, I remember like when they were walking out of the wagons and I could see the, the mine in the background and I thought, oh, they actually built a set. Yeah. Oh, that's right. This is a green yeah. screen. Like my mind, it, it took a second to realize like, oh, wait, they went a place. They went to a place. Yes. And they built things they in a place. They did a thing with real stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like an old man in my rocking chair right now, but it's like I'm actually not used to that anymore. Yeah. I'm so used to the sets being green screen and digitalized, and we were binging the Hobbit series, which we're in the middle of right now, and and there's so much of that. Yeah. that when you get a real effing set, it's so nice. Yeah. I, I thought the same thing. Again, not to get too far ahead, but that's one of the most gorgeous explosions in film at the end. Yes. And I yes. want to know oh how gosh. they did it. I want to oh. see the special features. I want to see the 
Yeah, yes. it's just, it's great. I completely agree. Oh, that was agree. so good. I completely oh my gosh. agree. Well, and I think mm-hmm. it right from the very beginning is showing you that this is a story about real people and showing too in mm-hmm. I mean the whole premise of Zoro being a man of the people and yet you come to find out that he's a he's a gentleman he's a wealthy man but there's another equally wealthy man who's a bad guy and one of them is yeah. fighting for the people and one of them is not fighting for the people and so it's not about whether you have money or status that makes you a good person it's about your actions it's about your character and you see that there is a uh, a communal component to this story about about um, letting uh, valuing individuals that one of these these gentlemen actually values individuals and one of them could care less and is willing to kill three of them just to get his arch enemy to show up so that he can hopefully snag him in his trap. Yeah, absolutely, and that's you know you start working through all of the kind of the tropes of the film and you start working through like the characters and like what they're desiring and things like that and you just get so many you get so much uniqueness i mean you have i mean first off you end you open with such a freaking tragedy with like you know you have zoro who you know they had movies for him for many years and many different comics and then you start with this man who knows that he's too old and that slip up of the arm and like that's what causes him to lose his wife and lose his daughter and then have to go away for so long and uh you just you can't help but feel like oh man like this dude actually is wicked evil because he was so incredibly infatuated with the guy's wife like even when he knows that he's zoro he's not addressing zoro he's addressing his wife right through that entire sequence oh Oh, so good. So, and I feel I feel too that the part uh, so much of what makes this movie as amazing as it is is the quality of the bad guys. The um, yes, just the fact that you have these actors who can be um, they can be so subtle in they're acting they're not acting like a bad guy this is something we talk a lot about in acting class about how there is there are multiple ways to be uh to to play an antagonist but probably the worst way to play an antagonist is to make it extremely obvious and clear and pretend like you have absolutely no (laughs) other reason for anything that you're doing than being the bad guy and dr think, evil yeah, yeah dr evil and i think what is what's fantastic about um this movie is that there are multiple people primarily um don rafael montero who's played by Stuart wilson and then also um um looking for his name here our friend who captain plays love? The captain yes captain love captain love <laughs> Uh, where are you, Captain Love? Matt Lesher. Uh, they both are it's just masterclass in acting in the sense that they are underplaying it. So when Don Rafael Montero comes to the house and is, um, you know, trying to arrest um, old Zorro, the beloved Anthony Hopkins, <coughs> he's very chill. He's very gentlemanly. He's like a gentleman and a scholar who's just, I'm so sorry that I have to do this to you. And that makes it, (laughs) that that combination of uh, poise and evil is is really interesting. And I think it it makes you remember that bad, uh, not just bad guys in the sense of antagonists, but that 
people who who are out for themselves or are selfish can come in all shades of nobility and they do not always show mm -hmm. their cards so look at people's actions not at their uh at how loud they are in their evil yeah Absolutely. we talked about this a couple of episodes ago just uh with spider-man 2 the bad i think it was spider-man 2 brennan the bad guy never thinks they're actually being bad a they good just think one yeah yeah, a good one. Yeah, a good one. And I think that's exactly how I was with um, Don Raphael, is he never thought that he was the bad guy. I think he thought he was doing a good thing, although you see his hesitation later in the movie, but he never thought that what he was doing was the bad thing. Right. And his performance, <laughs> it's so charming. It is such a great uh, mirror to both Anthony Hopkins and watching Antonio Banderas grow into the role as he becomes Zorro. Right. He plays off of both of them so well and so differently, and it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Utterly delicious. Ah. And it also, I think it brings up a really good, uh, that brings up a really good point of just how much fun it is to see. This is like a period film that has both nobility and the great wild west in it. You've got the most rambunctious, the most ridiculous and dirty and silly and in many ways slapstick. But then you also have these people that are believable as nobility, as aristocracy. And that leads, mm -hmm. that gives you some of what I think is appealing about many period films that are set in England. You have a sense of demeanor. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you have something, you have a story and you have characters that feel gritty and that feel bumbly. And they really nicely move between these two worlds. So you get the fun of, of a period drama you know, you get the you get the drama, but you also get the hilarity and the mess of a great western. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And nobody I thought was you know funnier than Antonio Banderas as Don Diego with so many wonderful lines. Once he shows up, and even his character introduction, you know, you have young the young one with his brother, of course. But when he actually shows up with what is it, three finger Jack? Yes. Um, and you get that, <laughs> you get that moment where you think that he's going to prison, but then actually they're the ones who turn the tables on the other. And you get this great, like you know, you have the buddy buddy relationship with the brother, and then with Jack as well. And then Captain Love and his men swoop in, and then that just changes everything. One hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. They lead. They're. They're. The writers are doing a great job of playing with your expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even just. Uh, I would say, well, I don't know. We always give like the spoiler warnings, don't we? But just like when his brother does die, it's by his own hand. Captain Love really didn't do anything except make him feel completely trapped with no way out. And then his mm. brother just tells him to go and then boom. Yeah. Just kills himself. And then the beheading. Bag the body. What is it? Oh, that line. It's like bury, bury the, body, the body, bag, bag the, the head. head. Yes. Yeah. It's oh, so memorable. Oh. Isn't it? It's so memorable. Yeah. And not, you know, oh. a great way for the brother, of course, but... Very, very, yeah, there's, there are, like you were saying earlier, there are multiple lines in this film that I had forgotten my family uses or that I, we've made some variation on as it, you know, as families do, things begin in your lexicon and then they morph and they turn into something else. But there were multiple times watching this again that I thought, oh, I think that's maybe where that's that comes where that from. Comes from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Great. Not oh about bagging heads. Not we didn't do that in my family. But there are, you know, goofy, goofy other. I was about moments. to say, did your family really use uh, bury the body back then? <laughs> no, not so much. I gotta take care of my dog, guys. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. You're good. You're good. No, I. I I'm so glad you recommended this movie. It's. it's I don't I'm know so if I'd ever have turned that... it on. Yeah. 
I watched it with the kids, and they giggled the whole time. And my, I mean, even the the toddler was just getting excited and dancing when they when during the um during the dance sequences and the big fight sequences. It was it was it was delicious. It was it's really a great it's really a great family film, and it's not it it's, is it's mature still. It's you know yeah. it, it feels adult. It feels like a movie for adults, but it's also tastefully done. That tastefully enough Absolutely. done enough whatever. I never felt like I was wasting my time as an adult. Like, there was enough to chew on. There was a... Yeah. Yes. And yet, at the same time, for it's appropriate for kids. Within reason. Which is great. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple times they got scared and looked away, but they were few and far between. I'm sure that's why (laughs) I made it such a popular family film for my family, because my siblings and I were all very different ages. But it, it really is, I think, a classic and in the in the blockbuster sense that it has a little something for everybody and you realize all right well i'm going for the fighting sequences which reminded me even more this time of you know fantastic jackie chan sequences just the use of the natural environment the the comedy within them and i've been a huge jackie fan chan jackie chan fan for a (laughs) long time um but so you've got you know you've got fighting you've got drama you've got love you've got politics you've got interesting philosophical debates there really it really is one of those movies that i think keeps living because it actually isn't made so much for a niche audience which is interesting right considering most things today which is in a way fantastic are more frequently made for niche audiences unless they're based on some sort of ip well i guess that was what was so surprising to me because you mentioned uh, that was a laundry list of things this movie tackles and it tackles mm-hmm. each one so well. I, I remember that first sequence thinking, this action is extremely well choreographed. And this fight scene, it, you can tell that they poured their heart and soul. It look, it, like, the 90s action sequences often fall apart and get messy. But this look is, is trained and practiced and choreographed as any John Wick action scene. And then it cuts into an extremely funny sequence and then to a romantic moment. And, and every time it's hitting each of those beats right where they're intending on it and it and it works so well every time i was i was shocked at how how fluid and deft a hand every person on this movie managed to hit uh, yeah it was great mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna say i loved uh you know right after the 20 years later cut like we have zoro literally rising from the dead <laughs> yeah. rising from the grave that was amazing um and then just like the way that he interacts interacts with Don Diego right off the bat and recognizing the necklace and, you know, immediately seeing like, I can teach this guy a thing or two and we can both get our revenge at the end of the day. And mm. those, man, I feel like montage trainings are just, you know, expected at this point. I know that I write them expecting at this point, mm-hmm. but this one was just so much fun. I even wrote down the lessons that they came to be, which was lesson one, never attack in anger. Lesson two pretty much hygiene lesson three to get to lesson four those were the lessons of Zorro. <laughs> right i mean one thing that go ahead. Oh, to sorry. Me with the training session this time is when he when they're finally down in the lair and don diego has agreed to or has invited don alejandro and teno banderas to come along and train and they're in the circle they're in this giant circle training you know yeah. gymnasium of rock and I I noticed, which I'm sure I've never noticed before because I wasn't as interested in cut lengths when I was watching this as a kid, but they left it in the master for so long 
where you don't see, you see uh, Anthony Hopkins and Antonio Banderas both standing, I don't know, maybe 15 feet, 20 feet away from each other in various circles in that training area, having a conversation about the value of training and what he's going to be teaching Antonio Banderas. And I mean, at least 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute maybe, I'd have to go back and look, but they leave it in that wide master for a long time. And I know oh. that so many filmmakers today would be tempted to show you the master. Hey, look, we're in a training circle. And then two seconds later, you would be cutting to a face, cutting to a face, cutting to a face. But because mm. they left it so so big and so wide and open, it really made that metaphor of the, of the circles clear. It gave you a, a chance to watch these both of these excellent actors interacting with each other in real time in an actual scene riffing off of each other uh, from moment to moment rather than cutting from one's coverage to the other's coverage. And they do that many other times throughout the film where they actually embrace two shots and mediums and, and wides and masters. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, Sam Jackson has a rant about editing. I'll have to put into the show notes that is absolutely enjoyable. He's like, and then they want to cut to a medium and then cut to another medium and then cut to a close-up and all these different things. Yeah. Um, I had a, a, a little, another, you know, I had so many different like flashbacks of childhood in this film. And when the candle push-ups came up, I swear yes. I have tried that before. Such a great moment. I was like, so if I, I did that now, my chest would light on fire. But go ahead, Brendan. No, I, was just, I didn't notice that. And again, it's my first time watching it. But I mm-hmm. feel like... I, to me, whenever I watch a movie, if I spend too much time on my first viewing analyzing why it's working, it's probably not working very well. Yes. So I was just letting it kind of wash <laughs> totally. over me, but I need to watch it again because so I, what you're describing rings true to how how well the pacing works. That it gives you these lingering moments to feel the the, the scenery and the action and the, the the conversation, and then cuts to the faster stuff. Yeah. It it just seems like a practiced hand and. I will have to watch it again to pay attention to that because I didn't notice it, but I felt it. If that makes sense. You, you touched on something interesting just then, which is when when you when the movie isn't very good, you start analyzing things. Yeah. I also do that, but I've never put words to it. Like I'll be like, I wonder what they have for craft services that day. I bet you that shot CGI. I wonder what this actor's doing now. Right. I'll come up on my phone. Like you're absolutely right. Like a bad movie does lose your attention. You start wondering the other stuff while a good one just holds it. Yeah. I good. Good filmmaking craft to me should be invisible, at least at the first viewing. Yeah. Yes. It's oh, when yeah. you start really dissecting it that you can see why it's working in the way it's working. Mm-hmm. This one's going to be a Blu-ray pickup for me, for sure. For yeah, sure. I was I saying think, this needs to be in the collection. I think, yeah. too, one of the things that this this film does so well is that it, in like you were saying, in the, in the variation in pace where you're, it's giving you these moments to take in, soak in these big epic sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in other moments, it's moving really quickly. It, I feel like in that regard, it earns the comedy because because it has given yes. you moments to ground you and you feel that, oh, these are real people standing in a real space having a real conversation. That then when it gets more yeah. slapsticky and it, it's not as realistic or, you know, Wait, who are you? I don't know if I recognize you, even though I can clearly see half of your face, and you're probably maybe that guy that I saw last night, but your <laughs> facial hair is different. You know, those kinds of of unrealistic details that we allow for because they've been earned. We say, all right, you know what? This right. is a fairy tale. This is fun. And they've proven to me, because of these other more grounded moments, that these characters are real people 
And so I'm willing to suspend my disbelief in these other areas. I'm willing to go along for the ride when it comes to a super comedic exchange. I'm willing to trade my expectation for, um, you know, a subtle gritty intensity in someone's acting for a moment where they crack a joke and the tone is maybe a little bit different, but they're playing with these so well that they, they both feel deserved. Right, right. You, mm-hmm. you, I, I felt completely taken along with the characters' motivations. I wanted what they wanted, and as he took us through those different themes and pacings, it all felt of a piece while also transitioning so smoothly. Yeah, great, excellent. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like most. I feel like a lot. Well, we talk about Marvel a lot, but I don't want to beat this horse. But they tend to not let serious moments stay serious. Oh, the same thing. Yep. Like, yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In this movie, lets the serious moments linger. Especially anytime, anytime there's like Captain Love and Don Raphael, like there's no joking there. Yeah. You know, anytime right. those guys are there interacting, there's it's just there's not some third person trying to be like you know or throwing something like there just isn't that like it just and it's funny because I looked up bad reviews of this movie just to see people who didn't like it and the one complaint I just saw was that it was boring and I just don't know I don't know how you could find this boring like what are you looking for if you think the mask of Zorro is boring I don't know know. that it exists especially in 98 like what else were you looking at seriously so Oh my goodness! I, but I, I think, love the training montage. Oy. Oh yeah, it was awesome. So so fun. I was thinking too this time. I've always liked the parallel of the lines where uh, they're starting training and uh, Don Diego jokes. This is going to take a lot of work to hmm. you know turn you into a fighter. And then at the end, lesson number four. I think it's lesson number four. Yeah, is he holds up a spoon. Charm. Charm. Yes. You must learn a charm. <laughs> and then Don, Don Alejandro saying, this is going to take a lot of work. But then we don't see Oh, I didn't notice that, that dichotomy. That's great. Like, yeah, there's that's a nice, the humor being earned. It's the humor there. And it's, I don't know, it's a callback from a couple minutes ago, but it totally works. And at the same time, it also lets them get away with the very next scene. We see the two of them dressed for a ball, basically, and all of that work has been done. You know, all of the lot of work that it would have taken to make the bumbling Don Alejandro turn into a gentleman is now apparently, it's apparently done. They did it. They solved it. But they don't have to show it to us because it's sort of like they showed it to us once with the, it's going to take a lot of work. And then we saw, oh, it did. It took a lot of work. So then they say it's going to take a lot of work, and we believe them. Like, oh, yeah, I'm sure they worked on it. We'll go you don't have it. to see it. Yeah. But I also feel I like it, it, to me, it implied that there's some natural talent there, that he's far more charming and suave than he thinks he is. And That's I think true. that dinner That's party true. sequence was my favorite part of the movie. From oh, beginning yeah. to end, oh. that oh, whole yeah. sequence, perfect in every way. I always looked forward to that as a kid. Leading up to the dinner sequence, what I loved about... Um, that scene where, you know, something completely beyond your reach. What is that? Charm. And what is that? Like, that whole scene, uh, there was so much range there for Don Diego. Like, you know, he enters the scene happy because he just did the whole um, stole the horse thing. Oh, you mean and Don then, Alejandro? You know. Oh, sorry, sorry, Don Alejandro. Like, he's, like, he's so happy because the, uh, the horse got stolen, but then, he, you know, if you think that you can be Zorro just because you put the mask on kind of thing, like, that scene starts happy, and then it gets, to, like, really angry because they're about to duel, and then it goes back to really happy. Like, that scene ebbed and, pl- ebbed and flowed so well. I was like, I see what they're doing here, and I just love every second of it. 
Oh my goodness. It makes me Such wonder because it because they are like you said they're ebbing and flowing and going up and down in tone so frequently. It makes me wonder how much of that was in the script and how much of it was I mean I feel like it has I know it was in the script, but it's also just directed well to be able to be confident in the going back and forth mm-hmm. between those choices and so quickly. They, you know, from as fast as a snap, all of a sudden we're joking now instead of being serious. And that's um, that that really does take expertise to be able to do well, both from a directing yeah, standpoint yeah. and from an acting standpoint, because as an actor, you can't you know, you can't get stuck in this. I'm having a real moment. I can't now crack a joke. You have to be able to <laughs> drop the real moment and go to a completely different place in order for them both to be believable. And you can't tell the joke in a way that subverts and throws out the serious moment you had before. Exactly. It's got, because yeah. that's important, too. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I will be attaching a link to the unproduced version of this script that Terry Rossio has posted on his website. Excellent. So people can see what the unproduced version of this movie looked like, which I will bring it back all once we wrap up the movie because there's a really sweet thing I wanted to read from an article that we posted a long time ago, but we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to touch on... Uh, that scene where he does try to steal the horse and he's like, we are like one spirit and he falls <laughs> off and that confessional scene. Oh my, oh my gosh. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like, especially cause my dad's a deacon, but just how three days, how many sins could you have committed in three days? Come back when you've sinned some more. And then she's like, can't hear him. And you know, uh, I broke the fourth commandment. You kill somebody. No. Yeah. In what ways did you break one of the most sacred commandments? I just told my father, oh, that is not so bad. Maybe your father deserved it. <laughs> so, so freaking good. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and then, like, Captain Love, just, like, the disrespecting of church. You know, anytime a villain disrespects church or God, you're like, that's a classic villain moment, you know. Um, you see it in Hunchback of Notre Dame. You see it all over the place. But just that's how you know you got a real bad guy is when he doesn't respect God. <laughs> so... Ah, but yes, that dinner sequence uh, and that dancing, that Malaguena that plays, oh, that James Warner composed. I looked oh, my to gosh. So, so much when I was a kid. Especially when you are a young teenage girl. Now, first time I saw this, I was eight. I was just like all about the adventure and I loved it and big fairy tale or whatever. But as you keep watching it, as you're growing up and growing up and growing up, that I started to realize that much the way. And I've, I've thought about this before, but it brought it all back today watching it again. That much the same way I ab- admired and wanted to be, wanted to be Princess Leia when I was a child. I wanted to be Catherine Zeta-Jones in this movie because she's stunningly gorgeous. She's passionate. She's sassy. She's elegant. And then, spoiler, cutting ahead a little bit from, you know, to the end, but she's not, she's not afraid to stick up both for herself and for other people who need help. And even to Mm -hmm. do it on men's terms with guns, with swords, Mm -hmm. with, uh, with violence. And I found that incredibly inspiring when I was a young girl growing up. And so the, the dance sequence with her and Antonio Banderas in, in the, um, the whole dining ball situation was something I looked, I so looked forward to because there's so much going on, and it's all nonverbal. It's all physical. It's it's sensual. It's a power play. It's using mm-hmm. her, but not mm-hmm. using her. It and it's one of those moments that I feel like will just always be one of the hottest moments in filmmaking because it really is. It's 
so yeah. hot. <laughs> but but it but it also to say it be a broken record, it earns it. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. It's it's it, it is sensual, but in a way that it's. I don't feel like a voyeur. I'm like watching the 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 interpersonal play between two characters in a really awesome way. Yes. And that that was yeah. the scene too, where even my my two year old son is like this and hopping up and down to the music. <laughs> it was, it was just, it's just so well done. Oh, it's Pete Catherine Zeta Jones, man. Just oh, like, yes. well, you said it best. Like, never been hotter. Like, holy crap. But also to what you're saying, Lydia, and you mentioned this earlier in the the beginning of the movie. Like, this is me in my director's chair. Like, every scene is a dance in its own way. Like, yes. you can't really view any sequence in this movie as a dance of some kind. Yes. Uh, just going back and forth and the play and who's leading and all that, which I think is just good writing anyway. But mm-hmm. um, especially when you have a dance within the dance, like that's oh. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. So good. Well, And, and I, the thing is, too, and I wrote this down, is I wish they would have had the scene where old Diego is trying to teach Alejandro how to dance because you just know that that had to have happened yeah. when the old man danced with his protege, but they didn't have anything for it. Like, even, like, a quick cut-in would have been wickedly inappropriate, but you just know that he would have had to have danced with him to show him how to dance. Yes. Well, and you see, you see Don Diego on the side watching and smiling, and so I love that proud. too. And I think that also, in a way, is our permit. That that's what gives us permission to also smile too. Because that's true. If that's he was true. the judgmental father sitting on the side, thinking, "Well, now I yes. want this guy to get his revenge, and I want my revenge," but I don't, I don't like that. You know, this man is now dancing so in this way with my daughter, mm-hmm. even though she doesn't know she's on, my daughter. You know, if, on both <laughs> sides, it's, he's because yeah. he's watching. Both his kids in some weird way, right? Exactly. Oh my gosh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well said, Brennan. That's Golly. Great. Well, I think too that's that very true. speaking of just nonverbal moments, there were many excellent nonverbal moments in this film where somebody's chewing on something that they want to say but they can't say. And I think Catherine mm-hmm. Zeta Jones has a lot of those where she's she's very um, even at the end of the dance sequence when there's the exchange between Don Rafael and Don Alejandro where Alejandro's indicates, oh, she, whew, she was, she, she took me by surprise. This was totally her idea. And I just, I guess I went along with it. And you see her frustrated, but also not able to say anything and walks away in, in frustration. And then you see Antonio Banderas slightly, just ever so behind the actor playing Don Rafael grimace a little bit knowing I didn't I didn't I don't that's not actually what I mean I wish that wasn't what I had to say but then composing himself immediately and because it's in it's all happening in a shot where you can see all three of them at once you get the luxury of watching all of their you're watching their behavior change depending on whether they're looking at each other or they're behind each other and that feels more you're just getting more information it's more um Mm -hmm. human than frequently when you cut 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 her reaction his reaction her reaction his reaction you don't always get to see the simultaneous reactions that are happening outside the spaces of words yeah and that all takes I mean that that's that's just good good um my brain just turned off just positioning <laughs> of everybody on the set and getting yeah. lighting I mean yeah you know movie words 
<laughs> yeah, we'll put the song in the show notes just so people can listen to it. I wish, I mean, I don't want to get copyright and striked, but we'll put the song in the show notes so folks, you can Yay. turn on Melagonia, the certain sequence, you can just listen to it. Um, it's so, so wonderful. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you have like the the real test of Zoro coming right after that, and you kind of understand the plan with the mine and everything, which is, you know, I was not expecting Three Finger Jack to come back in the way that he did, you know, and the whole getting shot in the air the second time. and I kind of forgot know, about Captain that, Love actually. And, yeah, yeah, me too. I like, oh, me too. Yeah. I, I completely forgot that he was there. And he's like blatantly calling them out for being like terrible people. And, you know, it's just the Don dismisses it like Peckerwood. Oh, they all laugh. It's just like, no, like literally you're enslaving an entire group of people. You're all right with that? Cool. Okay, next sequence. Yeah. <laughs> just villain, villain, villain. Oh, goodness. And he does a um, great job that the writing does a great job of pointing out the degrees of of theft of robbery you know you're stealing yeah you're right i am a thief i steal coins and gold and blah 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 you steal people's lives and this mm-hmm. this uh a difference in in looking at um the scene the common denominator between the this poor person who is a thief is the same mm-hmm is in the same category as all of these wealthy people who are also thieves. Yes, absolutely. Um, the horse chase sequence just made me smile like an idiot mm. the entire time. Cause I feel like, um, Terry had written in a blog a while ago that he often tries to incorporate, uh, jobs for people in Hollywood that normally don't get jobs anymore. And so, uh, being a horse stunt man is a very rare thing nowadays because they just don't use it as often. So he tries to write the, what's that? He's a CG it. Well, I think there's just, I mean, when was the last movie you think of that had a horse chase? Yeah. (laughs) Fellowship of the ring. That's what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> That's the last oh, one gosh. I can remember. I feel like even The Hobbit, they were fake Well, The Hobbit, most of the actors were fake-ish, so... <sighs> Yeah, that's true. But either way, I, that's what made me smile. Is I'm just like, I know, and just all the movie knowledge, I'm like, I know that he wrote this sequence in so that he could give a couple of guys a job for a couple of weeks, you know? So I just and it's was so over satisfying. the moon. And then the work was so good. It yeah, is. Like, it's really well done. And I found myself I don't recall thinking, a horse watching it this sequence. time, who, it, who did those stunts? Because, man, he was really doing that. He's riding between two horses and jumping over a giant fallen tree back onto two. It's just incredible work. Mm-hmm. Yes, so good. Um, and then you kind of have this moment where Bernard, well, not Bernard, right? Uh, where you have Antonio Banderas, you have his character who's like, okay, we're going to free the people, and we're going to do all this, we're going to go to the mine. And then you got Anthony Hopkins who's just like, I'm not coming with you. And then you finally have the two men split to go their two different ways. And uh, they play that sequence that sequence so well when old Zorro finally convince, uh, confronts his old nemesis, and you're like, okay, good, old Zorro has one, and then doesn't quite win. Because uh, the Don gets the kind of the jump on him in a strange way when uh, his daughter shows up and he like won't just like fess up the straight truth to it and then he gets thrown in the, you know in the cellar room and all that good stuff um, and you kind of have that all hope is lost moment but man oh man like the movie just kept hitting you with so many great gut punches and the anticipation of like when are you gonna find out that it's your daughter and then mm-hmm. you know he tells him she knows and you can tell that she does in fact know. <laughs> Let's take a brief moment to talk about, because that sequence is so well acted, and in Mm -hmm. so many ways, it is 
it's it's all of them, but it's Anthony Hopkins. He is so yeah. he has so much going on in him, in his eyes, in his gut. You can feel it coming off of him, even though he's barely indicating. He's barely communicating so anything subdued. other than just the words themselves. It's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree. I think that, to me, that his performance in that scene was probably the highlight of act, acting wise of the whole movie. It just you could, there was so much subtext in his eyes. And yes. Yeah. There's a patience to his performance that I think if you overacted would just destroy that scene. Yeah, and I imagine the temptation to do so is huge to go the soap opera guy and be like, "Don't you know who I am?" and that whole thing. And, of course, he's a master, so he wouldn't do such a thing. Right. I don't even know why I'd ever accuse him of such a thing. <laughs> I think patience um, is a good word for it. I think you're right. I think he also uh, shows that in the scene with Catherine Zeta-Jones in the stable, where she comes to him and she recognizes his voice. That scene yes. is so, oh, man, it's so it's just so beautiful. It's one of those slower moments, like we were talking about earlier, where it's just an actually well-written scene. It's not right. slapstick. It's not... It's just a grounded two person mm-hmm. one location scene between a man who knows this woman is his daughter and a woman who right. doesn't know that this man is her father and the 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 very very rich unspokenness mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. between both of them but especially on his part i think is is really demonstrated with that word patience you know a good yeah. actor it's not that some characters don't speak very quickly. Some of them absolutely do. But a good actor will take up space and will take up time. Right. And will not, has absolutely no, in the moments that they're acting, has absolutely no need to hurry. It's just right. as quickly as it comes out, it comes out. But there's no other, there's no thought for efficiency. Of course, it ends up being efficient because it is sure honest. But I think it really is, it's patient. It's a patience that's demonstrated. There's, yeah, there's this internal world that you can tell the character has. Like, I, you don't for a second believe that, that it's not, there's not just a rote memorization of lines. It also doesn't seem like it's overacted in a lot of the, uh, the method acting ways that we reward now. It, I don't know, it just, it yeah. seemed, I don't know. His performance, was, whenever really he's interacting with his daughter, to me, just... Masterclass. I thought it, well, especially I, in the in the stable sequence. You know, I would say dramatic irony. You know, is one of the greatest uh, tools in a writer's tool chest. Where, you know, the audience knows something that one character on screen doesn't. There's that anticipation, and even that scene has. I don't want to say a complete payoff, but I believe that is the first time in the 20 year gap that he says her name when she walks away. Because I believe, and I have to double check this, but I believe in the movie, he only refers to her as, oh, my daughter, you have my daughter, there's my daughter. But then when he when she leaves, he's like, goodbye, Elena. And he says her name, and it's like, yes. Okay, so we do get a little bit of a, a, little bit of a good hit there. Mm-hmm. In a boring scene, right? It's just boring, the movie's boring, <laughs> stupid critic, get the hell Humans out of here, come on. Right? <laughs> Yeah, my my fifth grader or my five year old came out. No, you're boring. Run away, crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, she helps him get out of the cellar, and then we have that big mind sequence. And yeah, I so much fun. You know, you get that payoff of rule number. Was it rule number one? 
think it was Rule Number One where he says never fight with anger. It was one of the first things he taught him. Yeah. And you have Captain Love, who only throughout the entire film fights with anger. And you get that payoff of the lack of clarity that that man had through it all. And you know, I mean, why didn't you just shoot him? But he did. <laughs> you know, he didn't shoot him, so that that worked out. But um, and then even the sequence where um, when Zoro jumps to the hanging. Uh, which I have to, I have to talk about he, that in a second, but go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say it was when he the way that he wrapped himself around the rope was the exact same way that he trained in the circle with yes. the rope thing, and so I was just like, okay, the training is working, it's coming through. All um, right. So yeah, okay, okay. What do you want to say? Bro? So the <laughs> only time that my suspension of disbelief was was gone in this movie, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure nine out of ninety nine out of hundred people wouldn't give two rat's asses about this, but. <laughs> The old chemistry teacher in me started um, calculating the density of gold. That rope is not thick enough to carry that much gold on a platform. There's no way. There's no. My wife got annoyed with me and said, "You got to replay the movie. You can't just sit here calculating the density of gold for the rest of the movie." <laughs> Did you get That's to a weight or? Uh, I no because we said play. I always meant to go back and finish my calculations, but back of the back of the napkin calculations. The ropes going in the triangle may have been strong enough, but that single rope going up, definitely not holding that much gold. Several metric tons, I Which, have to imagine. Now, here's the problem, is they very accurately showed the people in the chain passing two mm-hmm. at a time, which is appropriate amount of weight for them to be carrying oh. at a time. So when they put it up... Mm. That's it. That's, all, that's the only criticism I have of the movie. We needed heavier rope. I think that's fair. Not, not a soul <laughs> other than me cares about it. No, I, no, there I, probably I is some soul on the internet that now that you've yeah. said it is going to shout yeah. it to the mountaintops. I believe there's a subreddit called They Did the Math. And I think if we <laughs> pose that question. Great. Yeah, and I believe if we pose that question to them, they actually will answer it. So I'll have to see. That's cool. we might we might follow up with them. We will see. <laughs> um, well, then it's only made worse by the fact that they're both fighting on yeah. it, right? And they're fighting right. on the thing. Very true. Oh, my God. Very true. This is... Yeah. In all seriousness, no. It, that was an amazing sequence the whole way through. And if, if I can't get over a little rope, it's my problem, not anybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the wagon with the gold and the bad Don also went on top of it. And that didn't break it either. <laughs> That's true. Wait, this is it. I thought it broke oh, did, it. I thought the whole oh, thing oh, did it snap okay. it? Good. Okay, good, okay. Good, good. I'm pretty sure the, f- the whole situation falls at the end. The rope, Both of the first time, the... yeah, because I saw Captain Love's body actually fall off the thing, which I had never seen before Same. as a kid. But I certainly, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, the body actually. I was like, oh, there you fall, watch shoot. him fall. Yeah. Uh, one, yeah, on one, the, you know, he the screams. The gold wagon hits, and then it has kind of a, the wider shot of when the wagon comes down on him. You actually see a body fall, <laughs> and I was like, oh hell, there it is. <laughs> yep. Oh my goodness, and then. Uh, you know, this that sad moment of just Anthony Hopkins and he brings them together and then he just kind of dies. Yeah. Very sad. Um, and now I get to read a little something from an article that I posted on the China Syndrome called The $100 Million Mistake. When we had Professor on the show, I posted that article uh, with it. In that article, uh, Terry talks about 
when uh, the writing doesn't go right and too many hands in the kitchen kind of ruin the movie. And so they make what's called the $100 million mistake where they, you know, they ruin the budget and they don't make it back. So here's what he says about Zorro. Getting the ending right is incredibly important. People generally like The Mask of Zorro and always presume it was a bigger hit than it was. And it did get great reviews, but the movie only pulled in $93 million at the box office, which, by the way, it made like $250 million worldwide, which justified the sequel. The original ending was set up on page one. There was supposed to be a voiceover by Diego setting the scene and introducing Zorro instead of the long, tiny, lettered, impossible-to-read block of text that was used. Then we learn that Diego always told stories to his daughter even as a baby. Diego loses his daughter and spends 20 years the entire film trying to get her back. The end scene was supposed to be Diego reuniting with Elena and her listening to a story. And Diego starts in with the same opening narration, bringing it all full circle. And we realize we've been watching the very story he's about to tell her, that he's finally earned the chance to tell her, a grand moment of fulfillment and redemption. Instead, they decided to have Diego die. The story wasn't set up for that, and it wasn't designed for that. Diego, after all of his efforts, was robbed of reuniting with his daughter, and on some level, the audience felt robbed as well. I don't agree with that, actually. (laughs) And the script that I'm posting in the show notes, that is the ending that they wrote it, where the beginning is, it's not the text, it's him telling the story of Zorro, and uh, there'll always be a man for the fight of the people. And at the end, when uh, she's like, I don't know who you are, you're a stranger, tell me your story, he opens by saying, the people will always need a hero, and tells the story of Zorro. So that's the movie that you just watched was him telling the entire thing. It was a very enjoyable script. They sure kept a huge chunk of it for the movie. Um, but that part, I don't know if I would disagree this with. This still has that wonderful with. parallel with Antonio Banderas telling his son the story. Exactly. I, I think it, it went full circle just fine. Yeah, In Fighting fact, like a lion, fighting like a tiger, fighting as, as safely, safely as possible. Is <laughs> this what you call putting a baby to sleep? <laughs> and Lydia's like, yeah, I tell those stories. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree with you, Nick. I think that the parallel, I, I, I understand the desire for the parallel, and I actually think that the movie does it well, and it does it in a way that is parallel, but not the same, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's Antonio Banderas telling his son, and the actual Zoroness has passed on, in that not only have has the fighting and the charm transition from one person to another, but now also the stories are going into the next generation um, and the next the next line of Zoro's in a way. Not that necessarily, you know, being Zoro is based on on blood, but um, mm-hmm. I can understand the frustration in wanting it because it can feel, I think, a cop out or a. Um, it could feel cheap to simply have your old Zorro die when there's definitely something that would be satisfying about getting to see him be with Elena for longer. But I mm-hmm. also feel that the it makes the fight sequence more believable that the older men are actually not impervious to death and that they can get wounded. And that <laughs> that feels to me believable because they had a whole fight sequence, not just because he was, you know, he didn't just die with one move. And he also really died because he made a judgment call about Don Rafael when he held up the pistol to Elena's head. Yes. And he mm-hmm. immediately stopped fighting because he valued her life more than his. And that... I think makes it 
you know, it, it makes it believable to me that he, I believe that he would do that, even if he probably should have known that Don Raphael wouldn't ever kill Elena. He is so mm-hmm. quick to protect her that it shows us something very true and endearing about him that is his weakness. And that yeah. weakness killing him, although it takes us, it, although we don't get maybe as uh, lengthy of a reunion between them, it, it matters because essentially he's dying because he loves her. And that seems to work. Well, right. I, the the like tragedy of it is yeah. noble in its intention. I, I don't know. It's very rare that I find people arguing that we didn't have had to, that the, the, the Hollywood cheapened this film by making it too sad an ending. That's... <laughs> yeah. I, I also, I think at the end of the day, I'd like to think that Don Diego de la Vega and Elena just had a conversation on the car right over to the fight. You know, like it just, <laughs> what, they had all that time to talk, you know? Yeah, so. that's true. That's true. We don't know how they got there. They 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 rode yeah. some horses in at some point. Also, you said the Zorro ness of it all, and uh, we're going to call this episode the Zorro ness because that's just a beautiful sentiment. Uh, any other thoughts? Any other gushing that you'd like to do about the movie? Anything that we missed or glossed over? Um, I think the only other thing I really want to say is I hope people make more movies like this again. Because oh my gosh. Yeah. So and like it's a one off. Like sure it had a sequel and I suppose you can make movies that have sequels. But the fact that you could have a two hour, fifteen minute movie that doesn't need a sequel and is still an enjoyable film because it casts fantastic actors, it's mm-hmm. got excellent stunts, it's funny, it's dramatic, it's romantic, and it's a movie that that that's even though it's big and epic and sweeping, it's ultimately about family. It's a family film. And I think movies like that are understandably expensive to make. And nowadays producers may be hesitant to make something unless it has already a, an audience, a niche audience. But I do feel like this is a kind of film and understandably there were many other project, you know, many other Zorro projects before this one. But I think that this is a, a kind of story that continues to be watchable. And mm-hmm. I would totally, totally go buy tickets in a movie theater to go see a movie like this. And so Absolutely. I selfishly hope that more people make big, epic, sweeping fantasies that are not based on uh, comics and that are not based on um, just... just um, um, uh, British or Scandinavian folklore, but that could be set in America too. That can feel like a Wild West. That can feel um, that th- th- that you can have something set in the West. You can have something set in America, and it can feel this big and this epic. And I think that would it has be cool a very unique feel. Yeah. Insert audience applause, cheering, whistling, standing ovation sounds. <laughs> and if we can get the rights to America the Beautiful in the background, that was like one of my favorite speeches we've ever had on this show. Because <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. And did you see Jungle Cruise by any chance? No. It kind of, it it has its flaws, but it gave me that fix. Because okay. um, adventure is one of my favorite genres in general. Um, 
And I feel like the last time I got it well was National Treasure, maybe? Because hmm. mm-hmm. it's tougher to do, know. like, I'll t- well, we'll talk about this in a minute, but I'm I'm insanely excited to see Uncharted. I'm sure I'm the only person who's just stoked <laughs> out of his mind to see it. But that's another adventure film, and I just love good adventure films. Terry and Ted did it for most of their careers, and, uh, yeah, very well said. Brendan, anything from you, anything that you just want to jump in on there with or well i mean probably contradictory to what you just said because we're t- i'm tired of nostalgia as much as anything but i did think how much fun it would be to watch older antonio banderas revisit the character i think that'd be a lot of fun to see him play that role again. <laughs> so actually i just while you guys were talking i did some math because i had the the names and the ages of the actors pulled up anthony hopkins was as old as antonio banderas is right now when he made the movie uh-huh. i mean as as far as nostalgia bait sequels go it would have it would rhyme like poetry like <laughs> well yeah zora was made it was uh, created in 1919 so me thinks it's public domain and then i went down this really oh. really really sad path in my head of like what a modern day zora would look like find the cartels and i was like nope you can't do yeah. it so speaking of of going back to the early 1900s I've always known that Batman was watching Zorro when his parents died. I didn't realize how that was just their way of saying, yeah, we know we're stealing the story of Zorro. We're not even hiding it. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, at work today, we talked about how good artists copy and great artists steal. That's what Picasso said. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, uh, I think in many ways, uh, you have to, as my old English teacher said, you, what Shakespeare did is that he went away in order to come back. He would set his plays hmm. in Cyprus so that he could talk about England. He would set his hmm. plays in Scotland so that he could talk about England. And there is a certain manner in which distance and not and and the total opposite of modernity lets you embrace and navigate ideas that when placed in modernity just feel completely different. So yeah. To set, uh, yeah, a modern day, a modern day Zorro would probably feel super cheesy, and it wouldn't feel sweeping and epic and romantic because, in many ways, it's easier for us to let those kinds of stories be told when they're further away from us. Mm-hmm. It's very true, very true. That said, I still now I need I, I I need to find some more charming Antonio Banderas movies because really he's got charm. He Guy's does. Charming. Charm. Oh very man. Charming. <laughs> He's been a favorite for a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, all right. Now it's time to the the part of the show where we have you pick a number between 1 and 480. Hmm. 217. 217. That would be Tiffany Ariana, who was a special effects office assistant and was uncredited on this film. You poor woman. That's not... I'm oh, so well, hold sorry, on. Tim. Tiffany Ariana Morrow, right? Morrow, that's correct. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and this is one of, oh my goodness, a very, very, very short career in Hollywood. She worked on the big hit in special effects. Uh, she did The Mask of Zorro. And then she did Paranormal Incident, which sounds like a ripoff of Paranormal Activity. Oh, dear. Uh <laughs> Well, uh, Tiffany, wherever you are, it doesn't sound like you're in the film business at all anymore. We just uh, are grateful for the work that you did on Zorro because the movie would not have been the same without you. And you know what? You deserve the credit. Damn it. Yeah, the special you effects do. were Thank seamlessly you, gorgeous. So they good were. job. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. 
All right, time for a little uh, time to say something nice, Brendan. Wouldn't you agree? I do. I do think it is time to say something nice. So, if you could pick a number between one and three, let's go with three. Three. Uh, <laughs> oh, this would be hard for oh, me. Dear. I would like you to say something nice about Aragon. Oh, oh. my god! Okay. All right, I have to say something nice about Aragon. He was, he was a bit of a um, local celebrity here in Montana. Cause he, oh, that's yeah. right. Christopher um, yeah, the, the author was. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, something nice yeah. I can say about Aragon. I can say many nice things about Aragon the book. I was a huge okay. fan of Aragon the book. Something nice I can say about Aragon the movie. I actually think the lead was cast pretty well. And I believe his name is Ed Spears. Is that right? He. That's a pretty cool name. <laughs> I believe it. Let me look it up really fast. Um, um, what does it mean when you type in Aragon and nothing comes up? <laughs> nothing good. <laughs> just kidding. I just spelled it wrong. <laughs> um, I just want to make sure I get his name right. Yes, Spielers. Ed Spielers. Um, I think he has actually become quite an excellent actor. I saw him, I've seen him in a couple of other things, and I think he does his best in Aragon. What else has he been in? I'm trying to, um, to remember. One of the things that I saw him in recently that I thought he just did so well in was he had a character um, in season five, I think, seasons four and five, or just five, of uh, Outlander, and he, okay. he was great. Oh, He's got one of those faces that I recognize, but I can't place him. He's done... Yeah, it looks like he's he's done some... He's a... Uh, is he English or Scottish? I'm sure he's I have British. seen him on many of the uh, the British shows my wife watches. Yeah, and... he's done a lot of British shows and several several movies. He's still... I mean, he's still pretty young. But I was, yeah. I was really impressed with his... Uh, with the work that he did on Outlander and it was satisfying to see someone who, you know, I really thought did, did what he could, uh, with Aragon continue to go on and, you know, prove himself to be a good actor. So bravo to oh the casting gosh. directors who cast Ed Spears yeah. as Aragon. Good he job. He was in Downton Abbey. That yes, was awesome. Yes, and he's in Downton um, Abbey. Yep. Yes. And his birthday's the day before mine. How awesome. Huzzah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh! And I just—we just watched the episode where he gets kicked off of the show. Okay, that is oh, brilliant. That is well said. Uh, well, as we wrap things up, Lydia, uh, what type of media are you consuming these days? Uh, you mentioned you're working on the book, but are you reading any books, any comics, any games, any movies, any TV shows, anything you just want to tell the world about that you are just enjoying the heck out of? Well, one of my new favorite books of all time that I had never read and was gifted oh, for Christmas is the book Endurance by Alfred Lansing, and it is about the failed Shackleton voyage to Antarctica in the early Ooh. 1900s. And Ooh. it is fantastic. Oh, I'm adding and that to my list right I'm now. I'm telling you, the book is amazing. It's so well written. It's it's an incredible story regardless, but the, the just the telling of it is exceptionally well done. Endurance. And I, man... It, I'm amazed that it hasn't been turned. It would be a very hard thing to make, but I'm amazed it hasn't been turned. So speaking of adventure movies, maybe we need to all work our the bus off and <laughs> that make would this be one. Cool. But the book itself is incredible, and the in, in the intro you find out that the man who wrote it was just 
just felt possessed with the need to make this book and to make it as accurate as possible. And it was critically well received, but not a hit until after he died. And so for his wife and son, it's very bittersweet because they know how passionate he was about this project. And it continues to be one of the biggest bestsellers. And yet he never knew. And I, as a a writer, I find that also very interesting, the writing of the book. So Hmm. both the Shackleton story and then the book itself and the man who wrote it and how it's all coming together, I highly recommend Endurance by Alfred Lansing. And there's a documentary that came out in 2000 that won a ton of awards that Liam Neeson narrates about nice. the years. Yes, I saw that when I was scrolling through IMDb, and so that's now so on, my, cool. on my watch list. We were actually talking yeah, about so this expedition that. today as we discussed Flat Earth Theory at work. Oh. Because so. <sighs> Antarctica's not real. It's a wall, remember? It doesn't exist, right? <laughs> Um, and then what have I been watching lately? I So I have actually already watched this in its entirety, and it is by far one of my... It's it's in my top five favorite shows ever, but my husband has not ever watched it. And so we had made a deal back in the fall or summer that if I watched Avatar, that he would watch Jane the Virgin with me. Oh, and nice. He is now watching it, and we are in season four, and he loves it. And it's so fun to watch again. It is a... And I have not, I am not a telenovela expert. You know, it's an American version uh-huh. of a Venezuelan telenovela. And uh, it is also a movie that, much like Mask of Zorro, goes just vacillates so well between these extremely comedic, extremely slapstick, extremely melodramatic moments and really beautiful, grounded acting that feels like real people. And so you get one moment where you're laughing your head off and in the next moment you're you, you know my husband who's pretty aloof to expressing emotion while watching tv he's got tears streaming down his face and i look at him and go are you crying he's like no i'm not crying Excellent. everything with the grandma gets me so jane oh the virgin gosh. and for something completely different endurance awesome very very good brendan what about you um yeah a couple things uh so book wise my wife bought me the um the art and design book for The Last Jedi, and I've been enjoying that immensely. Ooh, what a great movie. Yeah, have you seen it? Movie. It's a good it's a. Oh my gosh. Ryan Johnson. I can't watch it on times. It might be a fan. Yeah. It's, it's great. So, 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 and I don't know. I, I just adore concept art. I think it's so much fun. And so it's great. The book, it's a thick, beefy book just filled with yes. all the iterations of costume design and the set design. And it's great. So, did they do any matte paintings? Have you come across any matte paintings? I don't think there was any I feel like he'd be that guy. Okay, I don't think so. But just so much of the set design was stunning. Oh, I mean, just yeah, amazing. And so, okay, uh, we've been watching. That's a great book. Sometimes we um, turn on, you know, British game shows on YouTube just while we do other stuff in the background. <laughs> Big you know, fat quiz. Big fat quiz. Um, Taskmaster. Things like that. So Graham Norton came on just at the end of one, <laughs> and they had Richard Ayuwadi on it, and he was advertising mm-hmm. his book Ayuwadi on top. <laughs> <laughs> this book is the funniest book I've ever read in my entire life. Oh, oh my goodness. Good. So this book, uh, he watched the movie View from the Top from 2003, so the Mo- Gwyneth Paltrow movie where she becomes a flight attendant. And... Uh, 
With Mike Myers. Right. Oh my gosh. And, yes. and he stated that it was so utterly forgettable in every conceivable way that it has infuriated him and he cannot forget it. That's how unforgettable <laughs> it is. How forgettable it is. So this book is a is an academic treatise on the reason View from the Top should be viewed in the cinema canon as an all-time great. And I keep waking my wife up at night because I read oh. too, too late and giggle the entire time. Wow. Strong okay. recommend. Also, View from the Top is on HBO Max, so I watched that before I was I read the book. It is a <laughs> <And>? profoundly forgettable <laughs> movie in every conceivable way. Concept. It's great. And and he commits to I mean, it's like he's writing about Citizen Kane, but he's writing about this two thousand three movie that nobody remembers. It's great. I am placing a hold on it right now. It's great. <laughs> so reading that, wow. uh finished Boba Fett, gonna finish Peacemaker tonight, been doing um, there's something else that I thought should be brought up, it was, it's very good and I can't remember, next time but yeah, so that's, that's it mainly, how about you Nick? Wonderful um, well, just with visuals, with shows um, I did wrap my Simpsons watch which we'll, we'll just do a whole episode on that there's, there's way, I am not watching the much entirety of The Simpsons so that we can talk yeah. about it it's not gonna right. happen no, it's <laughs> No, no, but I think it's just, it's, we'll dish out on what you know. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so that that is all done. And uh, wow. so moving on from that, uh, I started Book of Boba Fett, but then I got into this Exodus 90 thing with a bunch of other guys, and so I actually haven't been watching as much stuff. Book of Boba Fett um, wasn't all that great, so you're fine. Oh, good, I only got two episodes in with uh, the freaking train heist, which was so awesome. When, when it becomes The Mandalorian and forgets Boba Fett, it's a lot much better show, but it's not a good show. Okay. Cool. Like I appreciate that, that information, actually. Um, I, I have been doing quite a bit of reading. Uh, the first is Robert McKee. Uh, he's most famous for doing story, but he actually wrote two more books, one about dialogue and one on character, and the dialogue book was really, really great. Hmm. Um, it's like a textbook, and for... Um, film and plays actually quite a bit for plays and then i have his book character next um i let's see there's a book called red rising by pierce brown that i'm still actively reading that's very enjoyable um and i binged all of saga brendan i read every single volume Uh, i gotta i gotta get cut up so you're past me i got mm, okay oh yeah actually not only am i caught up i read the issue that was on the stand that came out oh 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 i remember the thing i wanted to tell you Oh, yes. good. I finally sat down, and we're not done. We're halfway through. I finally sat down and finished, finished, started to finish watching Cowboy Bebop. And man, I get that ah. people don't like it, but it is so much damn fun. I yes. see the flaws, it really but is. it is so much fun. It's oh, yeah. so much that's fun. That's what I've heard. That's what that's what Vito, that's what my husband said. He just said it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm having a great time. I'm the, the the anime was one of the ones that got me into anime, and I think it's an expert craft. Like the the anime is so amazing, and the movie is probably a top twenty film of all amazing. time for me. Um, the movie is insanely amazing, and this is stupid and fun as hell. And it's just you can tell ridiculous. they loved it, and, and re- yep, and and they go a lot of various different directions with it, and they canceled it so insanely fast. They did um, cancel it really well, fast. That's why I, I fell right. off. <laughs> I fell off when they canceled it. Like I had a harder time to motivate, knowing it wasn't going to be finished. And but I'm, yeah. Glad, yeah. I, I'm glad we picked it up again because it's a lot of fun. You can tell everybody yeah. involved is having a blast making the thing they're making, warts and all. Yeah, and I, you you really feel for like the cast when they get super offended that you know people hated it so much, and I, I do feel for them because it's like 
It's anime, man. Like you're adapt. I'm sorry, but you are adapting a cartoon. Like you, yeah. You have some rights to have fun with it. Like there's an anime called One Piece. It's the most popular shonen of all time. It actually has over a over 100 volumes of collected comics, Whoa. Uh, and they're adapting that next. And I'm just like, if you guys hate Cowboy Bebop, holy hell, are you gonna hate? You're gonna, hate, gonna, you're hate, gonna hate that even yeah. more. And they just started filming it too. Um, mm. So I'm actively following one of the the actresses on it who plays the main girl in it, and she keeps doing like set updates. And I'm just like, people are gonna please, hate this so much. Please let there be an audience uh, for this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, I read all nine volumes of Saga, and you know what? Like, I don't, I don't hate it. This didn't click and I don't much. Well, here's the thing. You know, um, when things don't click, you don't need to read nine volumes of it. So here's and then here's the thing, right? So I realized as I was doing my my reviews on Goodreads that I was like, you know what? Like I enjoyed it. I've read all of them. It's not a masterwork. And I realized like on Goodreads, the best you can get something is like five out of five. And I'm like, well, five out of five is like it's the greatest thing of all time. Four out of five is like it's close to being the greatest thing of all time. I'm just like, so it's like a three point five. Like I would actively read it again. Like I really have been enjoying it. Cried multiple times. Now, granted, as we've talked about. <laughs> circumstances sure i believe if you actually find the issue that i my letters printed in i called it a masterpiece <laughs> yeah no for sure no i i again i don't dislike I, it I, I really enjoyed it and brian k vaughn's a great writer. Right. the thing is, is i might not enjoy it as much being this many years removed because i did fall off buying floppies for a long time but i mm-hmm. i would like to go catch do it again so yeah uh, and then other than that, like, my goodness, I cannot tell you guys how many games of Yahtzee we play in this house. I kid you not, <laughs> we do six games of Yahtzee a day. I'm not that even joking. That is one about. of we the have... coolest things I have heard in at least 10 yeah. years. <laughs> we've gone through two, we have gone through two complete pads of Yahtzee. Yeah, now they just sell the pads at Walmart, and it's like 300 games on each pad. And we've gone through two complete ones, and now we're on our third. Wow! Wow! So, wow. Yeah, it's, so, I mean... <laughs> When I go on lunch, I take like, this Yassi? seriously. Sure, that's amazing. So we take it so seriously that I have been tracking our best and worst scores of all time, which I will now pull up very quickly. <laughs> Yahtzee highest scores. Here we go. My highest score in Yahtzee of all time is 530 points. Wow. My lowest score in Yahtzee is 148, which is insanely pathetic. My wife's highest score of all time is 629. Wow. When she got four Yahtzees in one game. That sounds right. uh, And the lowest she got was 99, which is utterly hysterical. Wow. <laughs> so, been nerding out to an insane amount of Yahtzee. Uh, Feast for Odin. Lost Ruins of Arnak. Is that right, yep. Brenda? Yep. That's, that's how you Yeah. Just, I've been playing board games like crazy because I'm not actively watching TV until Easter. So, um... And then I've just been researching. I've actually been doing an insane amount of researching for one project I'm working on and then an absurd amount of researching for kind of a career pivot that I'm working on as well. So we'll never talk about that again. But Lydia, <laughs> so good exciting. to have you on the show. I'm so glad you came back. Oh, this movie was, was amazing. Thank you thank for you letting again. me and thank you for talk making about me watch. it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I am delighted that you not only watched it, but that you loved it. It will be the first I'm of so many glad. viewings for me. Yay! Absolutely. That makes me happy. For sure. Well, thanks everybody for tuning into this episode of Sin My Gosh. I love that we're going over an hour every time. <laughs> and so we will catch you all in the next one. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.